All right. Good morning. Um, we're going to pick up today where we left off before in Mark chapter 1. I'm Andy Hines. And um, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and ask you to anoint this time together, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. When we last left Jesus, he had cleansed a leper. And now, in starting with Mark chapter 2, verse 1, we'll go through here and we'll see that several things happen in Mark chapter 2 that we're going to spend some time in. Mark 1, or 2, 1 through 12, tells the story of the paralytic where they chop a hole in the roof and drop him down through the roof. So let's just go through that and, and read that quickly. When he entered Capernaum, again, after some days, it was portrayed that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the message to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four men. And since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was, and when they had broken through, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 8, right away Jesus understood in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your mat and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up and pick up your mat and go home. So immediately he got up, picked up the mat, and went out in front of everyone. And as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We've never seen anything like this before. Now, this story is also told in, in uh, Matthew chapter 9 and Luke uh, chapter 5. And as we go through this and we start looking at both of them together we'll see that the Pharisees, if you look at Luke chapter 5, verse 17, on one of those days while he was teaching, now remember, he's in Capernaum, and this is his home. Okay, One of those days while he was teaching, the Pharisees of the law were sitting around who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. So, one of the first things that we understand here is that the house is full of Pharisees and scribes. Uh, this isn't really understood in the other two stories, in Matthew and Mark, but Luke always seems to add a little bit of, of um, details and, and accuracy and, and that other people don't get. Now, it's interesting that the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. So, remember... These four guys and their friend were coming to this house trying to get in. And they can't get in because there's so many Pharisees and teachers. And it says that they came from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So this is like uh, 
a religious convention, you might say. And uh, why are they here? Why are all these people here? Uh, we're going to dig into this. There's some interesting thoughts that come out of this. But first of all, um, I can't imagine. I'm trying to get in my head. Here we are in a home, and Jesus is there, and all these teachers of the law, these highfalutin, uh, well-educated uh, religious people are there, and all of a sudden, you know, their stuff starts falling out of the ceiling. Now, this is not a huge A-frame house. And, you know, the, the, the roof is a thatched roof. It's flat on top. Uh, I'm not sure how tall it was. But anyway, they got through, and all of a sudden, they dropped this guy down, this paralyzed guy down on the floor in front of Jesus. Now, when they did that, Jesus made this comment, seeing their faith. And in each, each, uh, version of this in Matthew and Luke it says seeing their faith Jesus told the paralytic have courage son your sins are forgiven and so Jesus is going to get in trouble for two reasons one uh, he's going to assume that he can forgive sins and number two is when he he shows it he turns the, the scribes and the Pharisees upside down. He turns them on their head. And we're going to see how this works right here. It says, but some of the scribes were thinking to themselves. This is Mark chapter 2, verse 6. Some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who could forgive sins but God alone? Now, at this point, uh, a, a scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 8, comes into play. It says, uh, Paul says, For to one is given the spirit of the word of wisdom, and to another a word of knowledge by the same spirit. And um, I, I asked my pastor and some other people, give me a, a one-sentence definition of a word of knowledge. And it's basically that you receive knowledge through the Spirit of God that you couldn't obtain any other way. So there, he had no way of knowing what they're thinking. And I, I think this is fascinating because if you go back to the book of Daniel, you'll find out that one of the things Daniel did with Nebuchadnezzar was the Lord showed him what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was. That's one of the most amazing things in the Bible. And um, he, he was able to discern what was going on in the other guy's head. Well, right here... The Holy Spirit gives Jesus a word of knowledge and said, everybody here is thinking that you can't do this. So, right away, verse 8, right away, Jesus understood in His Spirit they were thinking like this. Why are you thinking this way in your heart? He asked them. And which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or say, get up and pick up your mat. Now, I see this when Jesus did this. This whole house, again, is full of people. And right now, it's getting tense. The atmosphere is tense, okay? And, and um, he says, I, I just see Jesus looking at them and pointing to them and going, but so that you may know that I have authority, the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he turned to the paralytic and said, rise up, take up your bed and walk. Now, one of the, one of the more fascinating things about this um, Jesus 
is asking this guy to do something that he can't do. He's asking him, he's, he's a paralytic, we don't know how long, but Jesus uh, gets in trouble again here in a little bit with more paralytics. But he asks him to do something that he's never done before. Arise, get up, take your mat and go home. Then this guy, you know, he saw the faith of these other guys by chopping a hole in the roof. But this guy, immediately, he got up, picked up his mat, and went out in front of everyone. Now, try to, try to picture this in your mind. These Pharisees and these scribes are there. They've never seen anything like this. And, and they're here because they don't, they're not sure what to do with this guy. And um, he said, as a result, all were astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now, what is it that Jesus is getting ready to... I think He's laying a foundation for turning upside down everything that these people believe. They've, they've been taught... Now, we do know from, the new, from other Scriptures uh, in the Gospels that the Pharisees, there were some good Pharisees. Not, not all of them were bad. Now, you know, we hear a lot about the ones that were evil. But there was a lot of them that were good. Some of them came to him and warned him that he was going to, that they, hey, look, everybody's trying to kill you. You need to, to get out of here. So the Pharisees were there because they're not sure what to do with him. Now, at this point, it says, as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now, what would it be like to stand there and to see this kind of thing happen? Well, you would want to know more about it. That's the first thing. You'd want to know more about what it is that he's doing. And so, from this point, we go over uh, to the call of Matthew, which is, a, which is in Mark chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, and Matthew 9 and Luke 5 again. So, we're going to get some more uh, interesting takes on this part of the story. So, Jesus went out again by the sea. His house was by the sea. So, maybe he takes a walk out his front door, uh, uh, you know, and, and um, he's just walking along the seaside. As he's going along, it says the whole crowd was coming to him. Now, all these Pharisees, and now there's other people there, and they're all crowding around him, and it says he taught them. Now, what was he teaching them? He's teaching them the Word of God. And um, uh, we, we'll see that the Word of God has contained within itself the power to bring itself to pass. And um, moving on, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. Now, this is Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And he taught them, and moving on, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to them, follow me. So he got up and followed him. And while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house. So here's another situation. If you go back and you can remember uh, John and James, uh, the Sons of Thunder. And they didn't get their nickname Sons of Thunder because they were choir boys. These are hard living, uh, difficult guys, uh, probably hard drinking. And, you know, they're just rough fishermen. John and James are there, Andrew and Peter. And if you remember, Jesus is walking along, sees them and says, Hey, 
Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What did they do? They immediately got up and followed him. They didn't clock out. They didn't do anything. Well, here's, here's Matthew's call. Levi's call. says he got up and followed him. Now, when you get over to Luke's version of this, in, in uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 28, it said, in verse 27, he said, follow me. So it says, Levi, leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. So, uh, what does it mean to leave everything behind? That's a, that, that, these two are questions. Uh, you, you go back and you realize Jesus had the great question to Peter and to his disciples and said, um, who do men say that I am? And then he turned and he said, Peter said, but who do you say that I am? Those are two questions that have to be answered. Who do men say that I am and who do you say that I am? So right here, he said, leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. So what does it look like leaving everything behind? Uh, could you do that today? Um, my question is, and I believe it was uh, D.L. Moody that said something similar to this. It's not an exact quote, but this is the, the essence of it. He says, uh, the world has never seen what God can do with a man that fully trusts him. So, leaving everything behind. Again, irresponsible. According to the world's thinking, and according to, to my mom and dad, and I'm sure your mom and dad, to do this kind of thing would be irresponsible because you got a job, you got to take care of your family, and so forth and so on. And... Uh, Leaving everything behind. Are you willing to do that? Well, let's go down and see what he does. So while he, verse, uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 15, says afterwards he got up and followed him. Verse 15 says, while he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples because there were many who were following him. Now, I don't know, we don't know the time frame between verse 2.13 and verse 2.12, but there's Pharisees there, and it says very, very clearly, he taught them, and they got up and followed him, and now they're having dinner. So somewhere between Matthew getting up, uh, he set up dinner for everybody. And at this point, the Pharisees get involved. This is where it starts getting difficult for him. Uh, when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked him, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, so what is it that we're starting to see? We're starting to see the conflict between Jesus and what has already been established as tradition and... Uh, the, uh, you know, if he was in the south, he'd say, we ain't, we ain't doing it like this. We ain't never done it like this before. Okay? And so that's the question that they're asking. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus makes a great comment here in verse 17 of chapter 2 in, in Mark. When Jesus heard this, he told them, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one, and I came to call the righteous, not to, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So, at this point, 
Let's kick it over to Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. And, and Matthew adds this one line. I Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Then, he says, for I come to call the righteous. No, I came to call sinners. So, uh, what does it mean? I desire mercy and not sacrifice, specifically when Jesus is talking about these situation with these with the sinners and tax collectors. Probably had prostitutes. Um, probably had you know every kind of of uh, wickedness that men can do are probably represented there. The criminals and uh, and Jesus is quite comfortable with them. So this is bothering the religious people and. Whenever God starts moving through the Holy Spirit and things start happening, it'll always be religious people that, that get upset first. Now, when Jesus heard this, He told them, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. So what is the sick? Who, who, who are the sick? And what does it mean that the sick? Well, if I go back to this and I say, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, Jesus wants to give mercy and grace to those who need it the most, not the not the ones that are self righteous like the um, like the Pharisees. So in this situation, as he's sitting here and he's talking to this, he's exhibiting exactly he's exhibiting mercy with these people. And there's an element here that I don't think most people think about. Why do you think all these people were hanging around Jesus? Not only because he was doing stuff. He was healing people, and, and we, we see demons being cast out. And I'm sure out of this crowd, there was a lot of people there that Jesus had affected personally with casting demons out or what have you. But what's another reason why they were there? Picture in your mind this table. Uh, this is not a bunch of dour, sour-looking religious people. These are people that are there, and they found out that Jesus is fun. He's fun to be around. And he's joyful, and um, uh, he's just, everybody wants to be with him. Now, a hard question to ask ourselves is, after you got born again, are you the kind of person that people see and say, geez, I want to be like him? Uh, I know I was involved in a church uh, many years ago, and, uh, and on, on uh, one Sunday we had bring a friend on Sunday. And, um, you know, we're trying to increase uh, attendance and so forth. And I remember asking the question. I was sitting in the, in the back of the church. And we'd been going there many years. And I remember thinking, what is it about this church that I would want to bring anybody I know here? And um, I found myself sitting there and thinking, and all of a sudden looking at my, my phone and saying, geez, I wonder what the Braves are doing today, you know, I... I, there just wasn't anything happening here that was making me want to be there. And so I decided that there wasn't anything involved in this church that I'd wanted to bring anybody there. So these people, though, Jesus was involved. They wanted to bring people there. And so uh, I look around at church. How many tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and so forth do we have in our churches today? I don't know. Uh, I don't see a lot of them in, in, in churches. I see them on the street corners and so forth. 
And um, God bless those that have street ministries. I certainly, uh, my heart goes out to them. But my question is, when you go see these people, what do you, what are they actually looking for? What is it about Jesus again that causes people to want to follow Him? That's what we want to look at. Now, if we go back, now this is an interesting uh, point. We'll go over to a question about fasting in Mark chapter two, uh, verse eighteen. So just remember, Jesus is there. He's he's already set the framework for working with the Pharisees by having all of these people. Uh, over for dinner. Uh, Matthew uh, set that dinner up. Now, Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, Why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? And, and I had a little footnote there that says, uh, Why is this important? Why is it important that they fast? So let's go down. Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they can't fast. But the time will come when the groom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. Now, I'm not a big fan of uh, of weddings. I've not gone to that many weddings uh, It it's just just me. I just I went to my wedding and 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 it must have worked. We've been married 45 years, so uh, she stuck with me that long. But what what was it? I remember the wedding we went to. In our wedding, we had fun. It was a blast. Uh, my best friends were there. Uh, Julia's friends were there, and uh, we had a lot of fun. So, why would we want to fast at a wedding? Well, you wouldn't. Okay, and Jesus is making this point in verse 19. He said, The wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them. Why would you want to do that? You wouldn't. So when Jesus is here, they spend all their time with him. And they basically said, We're setting aside the laws and the rules that the religious people set so that we can follow what Jesus said. Now, verse 21 gets into some really interesting scriptures. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost as well as the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So, what does Matthew and Mark and Luke say about this? Well, over in Matthew, it says pretty much the same thing. But Luke adds this really interesting scripture in Luke chapter 5, verse 38. He said, But new wine should be put in fresh wineskins. And then he says this right here. No one, after drinking old wine, wants new because he says the old is better. No one wants new wine because after drinking the old, they want the old because it's better. What is that talking about? Well, I think he's pointing in on the fact that we've always done it this way, and it works. it's worked for you know hundreds of years. Why should we want to change it? The idea being is this is, how, not, this is the way we've always done it. Old wine represents 
the way we've always done things. New wine comes in and basically turns old wine upside down. And the two are not compatible. You can't put new wine in an old wine skin and you can't sew an, uh, a new cloth on an old tear because it'll, when, it, you know, when it shrinks, it, it causes problems. So in this case, and I want you to, to recognize a couple of scriptures, and they certainly helped me in, in this time uh, as, uh, as I've been thinking about this. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says this, Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. And then um, Isaiah 43 says, Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. In other words, don't live your life in the past, and things will get turned upside down as you start following Jesus. Now, I heard, uh, I heard one uh, evangelist that was telling a story. It was one of the best stories about this I've ever heard. He he was he was speaking in, in a large conference, and all of a sudden, down in the front, he saw a woman, and he came down off the stage, and he says, Betty was her name. Betty, it's so good to see you. And, and he t- explained to the, you know, there's, there's 10,000, 15,000 people in the stadium. He explained to them that this was his realtor, and that she had sold uh, them their first house, in Colorado. And then he proceeded to describe this house. And when he got done, man, I was there. I, I understood that. I understood what it was like to come in. They had a little boot room because it was cold. And then they had a sunken living room. And talking about the furniture and everything. I, I was there in that house with him. And then he said this. He said, but you know what? The people that bought that house bulldozed it down. And they put up another house. He said, that house does not exist anywhere except in my mind. That's the only place it exists. And that's the way the past is. The only place it exists is in our mind. It has no bearing on... It's not there. It's gone. And this is one of the things that Jesus is talking about. No one, after drinking old wine, wants new because He says the old is better. It's critical that we get past the idea that what we did in the past was better than what we're doing now. Because if Jesus turns things upside down, we're going to have to let go of a lot of things. And this is difficult. So this is one of the things that the Pharisees are running into problems with. So if you go back and look, starting in Mark chapter 2, he was at home and he was speaking the word and then some people came and they chopped a hole in his roof And he told them, seeing your faith. And then he said, because you've done this, your sins are forgiven. Well, this is is new wine. And the old wineskin shows up when it says the Pharisees and scribes say, how can you do this? He's blaspheming God. So we're starting to see new wine, and we're starting to see the destruction of the old wineskins and the old, um, uh, old cloth. Now, if you go on, calling Matthew, all the people, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, were all guests and they were all sitting there and the Pharisees didn't like that because this is is new wine that God Himself would sit there and eat with these people. This is new wine. And the old wineskins can't take it. This isn't how we've done this anymore. Uh... I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
So, proceeding from there, then we get into the fasting. Everybody fasts. Well, Jesus said we don't fast. Okay, We don't fast anymore. So, uh, while I'm here, then after I'm gone, you can fast. More new wine, old wineskins about fasting is gone. And so, uh, I want you to keep in mind that the primary thing we're looking at here is Jesus has landed on earth and He's turning everything upside down. He's, he's, when you start following God, you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit starts moving in your life. When these things start happening, you're going to slam into some old wineskins in your own life especially. Uh, but if you, if you just get baptized in the Holy Spirit and you're so anxious to share this with everyone, and then you begin to share what God did, and hey, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, now I speak in tongues, and you're thinking that they will have the same joy you do, you just have to remember that you're turning things upside down. You've got new wine, they've got old wineskins. And the, the two things aren't necessarily going to... They're going to have to set aside their old wineskins in order to receive the new wine. That's the issue that we run into. So... Uh, I want you to think strongly about that. And uh, the next time we'll, we'll get into the second half. Now, the second half of, of Mark chapter 2 is very interesting. There's a, some interesting things that happen in there. But, so uh, we'll do that, but let's close out with prayer. Father, I thank you so much for today, and I ask you that you would guide us, show us how to proceed with this, and speak to us about new wine in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. To every generation, He gives the joy of His salvation. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. As I watch the world around me, I can see His from the seed of Abraham. And led them through the wilderness. Into the